Welcome to Credit Union Discussions, the podcast where we meet exciting people from the world of credit unions and discuss the latest news and trends. Welcome to the first podcast of Credit Union Discussions. In this episode, myself and Finn Baroche of Bantry Credit Union have a great discussion covering my ability to represent small and rural credit unions, given that I'm from a large urban credit union, the share cap being introduced by credit unions nationwide and its impact in particular on our older members, and I outline a simple solution to the problem. Social housing and its importance to credit unions and also an innovative way to fund more social housing. What is being perceived as fragmentation, but really is credit unions operating at grassroots level which should be supported by the League. The background to this discussion is my campaign to get elected to the board of the League and a series of short videos I've been creating. As we get deep into the conversation, I thought that this would also make an excellent first podcast for my new podcast show, Credit Union Discussions. At the end of the podcast, I make reference to the podcast website, etc. It will still be a few weeks before I get these up and running, so please bear with me. And finally, sit back, enjoy and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you. Well, so good morning, Michael, and, and thanks for joining me and, and for the opportunity to, to to have a chat this morning on a few topics. There's a topic in my mind, I suppose, really, and when we had a bit of emailing back and forth, uh, just with this in mind, um, I suppose a few things. The first one, and I suppose the reason I contacted you at all, was that sense of, you know, I'm from a, a small or medium-sized credit union on the West Coast. You're CEO of a big urban credit union in South County, Dublin. So, and I do know you have a rural background, but lots of other people mightn't know you have a rural background, Michael. So, like, how does somebody in your professional position today, c- can you represent, you know, West of Ireland, and not just West of Ireland, rural, mid-sized, small-town Ireland? Credit unions. Yeah, thanks for thanks and thanks for making the contact to me as well. Look, it's great to get this opportunity to have a chat to you about it. So yeah, look, I believe that I definitely can represent all credit unions, both rural and urban. And Shankill Ballybrack, which is what core credit union formerly was, was the small credit union in South County Dublin, just north of north of Bray, just effectively just in over the Wicklow border into Dublin. So. Even though we consider it an urban area now, it's still Shankill and Ballybrack are still two very strong communities, still very much a village-like feel about them when you're in them. So it's very much the look and feel that you'd have of any any village around Ireland, be it in Dublin or be, be it in Wexford or Cork or Galway or wherever around the country. It's a, really got a good local feel about it. And I suppose I probably still have a mindset of being the manager of Shankill Ballybrack, 33 million asset credit union, even though we have grown significantly. I still probably have that connection and bring that sort of mindset with me. I was well, always well used to deal with the members at the counter myself, as you would in any small credit union. So I think I would have a lot to bring from my own experience. But also then, if you take my rural background and when I was before managing credit unions, I was auditing credit unions and they were very much on the smaller scales, credit, credit unions, you know, ranging from assets from 6 million in asset size up to 12 million in asset size, which is a, a tiny credit union mm-hmm. nowadays, but they, are, they were strong, viable credit unions local, mm-hmm. in local villages. So I think I have very much experience on the local side, the rural side. And I also look at a credit union world as a small world and no different than yourself. We're talking to each other quite regularly. So I'm talking to people all over the country all the time about the challenges that we're all facing. And, you know, where there are unique differences between urban and rural credit unions and without a shadow of a a doubt, there are differences. We all face very similar challenges as well. And, you know, the differences would be, you know, I can remember in one of the credit unions you used to audit was very much where you got your check cashed every Friday it was the credit yeah. union, it wasn't the bank, you know, where we would have very little of that in, in mm-hmm. South Dublin. 
we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have that same experience. But I've seen I've seen both sides of it. Yeah. In South Dublin, I suppose a challenge that we have, which I'd love that sometimes I'd love to be a manager of rural credit union, is the penetration levels in Dublin are lower than in the countryside. You know, everyone in the countryside, like all of my family, are members of the credit union. You know, that's it. It's just something you are when you grow up in the countryside. You're a member of the credit union. That's not the same in in Dublin. You know, we've only one third member penetration in Dublin, whereas in rural areas it's up 75, 80 percent penetration. You know, so there's pros and cons on both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the point you make there, which I hadn't thought about, of course, is very valid. Is you know the, the core credit union where you started in core credit union in in, in Shankill, it was a smaller credit union. So you do have that sense of of the closest. You know what it is to stand at the counter. You know what it is to actually go out and meet them. And and like you don't lose that even when the organisation gets bigger, Michael. You have to hold on to that sense of who springs to mind. Their course is uh, is Fergal Quinn. That whole sense of of never becoming so removed as the organisation grows bigger that you lose touch with with your customer or member. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's an important point. And I was talking to one of our, like on a weekly basis, I'd be talking to five or six members on a weekly basis. I'd love to be doing more of it, I have to say. Obviously, other time constraints, I can't. But, you know, I was talking to a member on Friday and he actually asked, so how come you made it, made, you, you called me back? I said, it's something I do every week is if there's calls coming in, queries coming in, I ring back a couple of members every week. And let's keep that local touch. And as you said, very much that, that approach. That Fergal championed and knowing the member and being on the counter and you know one of the things when I started working in the credit union first I was coming from an accountancy background so I didn't have the practical experience of the, on the counter so I made it my business to get that practical experience on the counter and I did the counters every Friday night in the credit union I was down at the counters doing the work and co- and covering and doing it so that gave me that experience and even when we did the mergers one of the things that used to surprise especially the credit unions that were merging in with us when we'd be under the pressure that week after the merger I'd been on the counter doing the transaction and mm-hmm. I could bang through transactions faster than most people because I was experienced doing the transactions. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's so important to keep that contact with the member. And, mm-hmm. you know, the member is what matters in the credit union. And if we lose contact with the member, we lose everything. We do. We do. I, I look at that, look at that completely. And um, just another thought on what you're saying before I move on to the, to, to the next question is, is that sense of credibility that that brings. Uh, and I mean this in terms because it is an election that's underway as well, but in terms of uh, the electorate, which is credit union boards, but the sense of some, and I, this is only occurring to me as we're speaking, that sense of credibility that comes from somebody who's been at the cold face, who knows what it is and who's never going to forget why it is we're here, because like that's the voice we need around the league table. Okay, somebody who's going to bring strategy and bring everything else, but also it will never forget why we're all here, which is to serve the member. And that's not a cliche, that's 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 why yeah, you and I it's, put in. It's very important. Video. and. I remember before we actually did our first merger, we were looking, we were short staff and I, re- I reached out to a few directors that didn't know anyone that would just take on on a part-time basis because we were short at the counter. And a CV came in from a lady and I was looking at the CV and she had a marketing background and I was there. Nobody knew that we were in merger talks at the moment. At that particular point, I was just thinking, actually, this person has the ideal background if we do, if we need a marketing person in the future. She was looking just to get back to work in a few hours a week after taking time off work for to, for her young children. And that's it. So I brought her into the credit union as a teller. She worked as a teller for a while. And then after we merged, we appointed her as a marketing officer. And it was one of the best moves I ever made because she worked at the counter for six or seven months as a teller, 
doing the day, doing the work that we're all used to do, doing at the counter. And now as a marketing officer, every time she prepares a document or does something, she's always thinking, how will the member look? How will the member yeah. read this at the counter? It's not, does it look glossy? Does it look fancy? It's actually, how will the member perceive this or read this at the counter? And you know, for a marketing officer to have that, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'd echo that, echo that. Turning to one of the big, the big issues, um, which is, you know, reality for all of us, and it's, 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 it's topical, it's reality, it's, it's one of the more important challenges we have to face, is obviously savings, the growth of savings and the, the, the limits we've all had to introduce, share cap as, as we know it. So um, just to set the scene from Bantry's point of view, Michael, uh, Bantry introduced a share cap last July of 30,000, first time we came, first time we introduced any limit below the 100,000 legal limit. It, two things that struck me at the time. Um, it was it led to the longest, well, many, many things, but two, it led to the longest discussion at a board meeting that I can remember on any single topic in the 20 years. And what that said to me was, you know, from a director's point of view, like there was almost a sense that this is anathema. I mean, when the, if we think from a volunteer's point of view and a director who was given up voluntarily to come in and do do their bit for their local community, because that's what a director of Cottage Union is doing. And and now to explain to that director that in the interest of the credit union, they're going to have to effectively say to members, we don't want your savings. When the director is saying the only reason I got involved in credit unions is that, you know, so that, that all it, it, it is anathema to their mindset. And the second concern that was driving the board at the time was concerns around elderly members and the security risk, let's call it what it is, the security risk. Uh, that reducing savings limits in the credit union was posing for those elder members or older members. I suppose two things, Michael, the, gen the issue in general, but also what as a league board or what can the league board do around that whole giant issue? Well, first of all, I'd say I think there's actually a very simple solution to it, and I'll cover that now in a minute. But actually, just to say, I completely and utterly agree with what you're saying about the dilemma that credit unions are now in as a result of share caps and having to put share caps in. It's an, an unfortunate and a ridiculous situation that we found ourselves in. And one of the best things that ever actually happened to me in the last couple of years is when I did a foundation trip out to the Gambia. And I probably didn't appreciate the importance of savings as much as I should have had until I went out to the Gambia. And when I went out there, when I realized actually the, the you know, I understood the idea of thrift in a credit union, I understood all of those things, but the actual importance of having a secure place for savings, I probably didn't appreciate that well enough until I went to the Gambia. And all of a sudden the penny dropped with me, you know, savings, you need to have a level of savings before you can access credit. And when you're looking at in a sort of in a nascent credit union model like the Gambia, where the poverty levels are much, are, are very low, having that place to save money, which is actually where credit unions founded themselves from as well, that local savings and that local borrowing is a vital part of a local economy. And that's also a vital part of a national economy then by, by extension. Mm -hmm. So I think where we're all putting in these share caps now, the major pitfall that we could end up in is we're actually doing something which is counterintuitive. It's actually counter what we should be doing as a business. And the long term impacts of this could be quite devastating. Yeah. At the moment, money is flooding in. It's very easy to be near term and just look at what's happening today and tomorrow. But what about in 10 years time, 15 years time? What example are we setting for our current and future members by putting in these share caps? So I think we need to really take a hard look at it. Is this good for the long term business? So I think that's one that's one aspect of it. Then the other aspect of it is, you know, elderly members, vulnerable members. How are we looking after them through this? And like ourselves, we put in a share cap of forty thousand. 
about when it was about eighteen months, we put in share capital forty thousand, and anything above forty thousand, we returned it to members as well. We've had to reduce that down to twenty thousand just in November. We wrote out to members in November to reduce that down to twenty thousand, and that's again because our reserve ratio is 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 dropping so much because of the massive increase in savings. And what we, you know, taking the point of looking after elder elder members, what we introduced, even though we were giving the money back to members, we introduced an exception form for elderly members or, or, or people with disabilities or people people where they were able to give us a good valid reason where we made exceptions for them. You could argue, oh, that's not treating all the members same. You have to treat all the members same. Look, we also have to look after people as well. And I think there is a time and a place to make exceptions and looking after our elderly, looking after more vulnerable. So I think when credians are implementing share caps, you should really look at making sure you put in something to look after those members that otherwise don't have anybody else to turn to or have some sort of difficulties. And then actually, how do we solve it? It's actually a very simple, this is a very simple problem to solve. The credit union model that we have had up to now is no longer the model into the future. So we need to recognize that the model is changing and the model has changed. It's, It's not just changing now, it's been changing for 20 years. The model we now have, we're never going to get back to 70% loan to asset ratio in the current structures, in the current economy. The banks are even struggling to lend out their money at the moment as well. So it's not even just a credit union problem anymore. So what we need to is recognize the model has changed. We're no longer a 70% loan to asset ratio, which requires 10% reserves. Our model is now 30% loans to asset ratio. The rest is investments. And very simple, we need 10% reserves against loans and 4% reserves against against investments. And then we don't have a reserves problem because all credits by putting in share caps, they're only addressing a reserves problem. It's an arbitrary calculation. Mm-hmm. And the model is no longer the loan to asset model of 70% lending. So the central bank, the, reg- the, the Department of Finance need to recognize the credit union model has changed, 10% against loans, 4% against investments, and we don't have a problem. Yeah, and that's the solution. Yeah. And it's actually a simple solution. It, it is, and, and uh, simple but brilliant, and uh, and 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 risk 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 driven, as as you and I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if, and, and easy if we do if we do it on that basis of ten percent against loans and four percent against investments, if a credit union grows its loan books, it has to grow its reserves to match the yeah. risk, so members are protected. Completely in agreement with you, Uh, but you and I know the challenge with that one is that the people who we need to convince on that uh, mind shift, on that change of regulatory uh, measure is the central bank. Um, And that's where in the chat, obviously, and that is the role of the league, of course, and if you're elected to the board of the league, that will be one of the the roles, as I'm sure you see it, to campaign and to explain. But in terms of an international context, Michael, is would there be, are you aware, would there be international um, comparisons which might help in that regard, where there's different um, uh, uh, regulatory requirements around um, uh, capital requirements, which would direct us, and that, which would help in that argument, because what we come across are, are others, uh, like we don't even have to look very far away from it. All we have to do is look across the border into our fellow credits up in Northern Ireland. There's a different approach to regulatory capital, both in Northern Ireland, the UK, in America, in all other credit union jurisdictions that I'm aware of. To have it's not a risk-weighted uh, system as per Basel, but it is a risk-weighted system. It's a more simplified system than the Basel requirements where the banks have to comply with, but it is a risk-weighted system. And so it's not even something new that we're talking about here. You know, so it's well established. 
I wish you well and your colleagues on the board. Please, God, you've been elected. There's nothing more fundamental, challenging, uh, facing the league, the next league board than that issue, yeah. I would think. Yeah, like the biggest challenge facing credians, there's a couple of key challenges facing yeah. credians at the moment. They're not insurmountable. But we need a really strong league voice that can actually stand in front of the regulators that are that is are respected by the regulators. We need to be clear, coherent argument and clear, coherent rationale behind our argument in front of the regulator where they can't actually say anything but yes. Yeah. And that's that's what the league that's what the league yeah. needs to get to, and we need to be stronger in that in that position. And that's and that's ultimately why I'm going for the league board is to try and help and have strengthen the voice at a league board table. Yeah, yeah, very good. Ch changing to another another topic, Michael, social housing um, and in fairness to the league, they've been very active and very busy uh, campaigning and lobbying in relation to the whole social housing issue and credit union funds have been utilised for social housing over the past many years. And um, I attended the, the, the webinar in December in which the league outlined an initiative with two uh, partner organisations um, and we know that there's currently expressions of interest out there for credit unions who might be uh, interested in participating in this. Uh, and I don't want us to get into the nitty gritty of that proposal. I don't think that's in the point at the moment. Maybe more, uh, and again, to wear a rural hat uh, to some extent. So there's two questions, I suppose, in my mind, or two, two, two areas in my mind. One is, how, what is your response to that as an initiative um, and to, the, to whether it's viable as a means of credit unions to invest our surplus funds back to our first our previous issue into uh, what is self-evidently a good uh, a good a good investment which is social housing in Ireland badly needed and the second question and this has reared itself already at our board here and I'm sure to where it's 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 headed at every board where this topic comes up is we agree in principle and many many directors from the areas they'll say we agree in principle with it but what do we do to ensure that the, our our locality benefits in other words is there any way of building in or uh, addressing uh, the requirement or the desire that social housing investment is also at national level is in some way reflected in a benefit locally in be that social housing units on, on the ground? Yeah, your second question there is a very good question. Now, your first question, I think, is actually very easy to answer for all credit unions, or should be, is like social housing and credit unions, it's a match made in heaven. We should be doing it, and there shouldn't even be a question about it. And not only that is, is how much can we do, and we should be more courageous in the levels that set out in the current regulations. We should be doing far more social housing. It's a massive need of the current generation. You know, in previous generations, the government's, government provided social housing, and in my personal opinion, the government should still be providing social housing as well, but that's my personal opinion. But credit unions, in the, with the lack of the government providing it, credit unions should be stepping in to provide the financing for it. And I'd actually go a step further as well. And currently, actually, just on the approved housing body, it's a that's a project I've been working on myself for about 18 months now as well on approved housing as well. So I've been working quite a bit in that area myself. But as credit unions, there's another product I'd love to bring to to, to the sector. For credit unions and that we can actually provide our members with and this would dovetail really well with social housing is a pension savings account where credit unions provide pension savings accounts for our members and the members can get tax deduction on it so rather than a member having to put money into a into a into a into a pension product provided by a life company they can 
take a pension savings account from the credit union, see the money going into it, look at it every year. They can't get it like like any ordinary pension. And then we can use that money. So it's long term savings effectively. We can use that long term investment in social housing and actually ramp up. Don't be restricted by our 18 billion of assets that we currently have. We should be able to grow our assets by another eight or 10 billion through pension savings. So it's the community saving for their long term future and using that those funds to provide long term housing. And what we currently the limit, the amount of money we have available could be easily multiplied. So then on how do you make sure that the social housing is done on a local level? That will be very difficult because that's driven by the approved housing bodies themselves. Yeah. And they will ultimately put that money into where the greatest need is. And you're talking about urban areas is where the greatest, where the, currently where the greatest need is. But again, I take my brother and his 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 mother-in-law, she's living in, a, in social housing in Kilkenny. And it's a fantastic housing complex, small housing complex. You know, she came back from England a number of years ago, retired back, paying a small amount of rent on a, on a weekly basis into a fantastic local community driven in a local rural village in Kilkenny. And that's the sort of thing we should be doing. We've seen it now with the with the Internet and working from home. We don't have to be bound by those rural, those urban sort of ties that we've had before. There's no reason why some of the social housing investments shouldn't be shouldn't be at a government level be prioritised for rural areas to rejuvenate some rural areas. And you know it yourself in your area, there'll be villages you go through and you're just looking at buildings that are no longer they're boarded up, no longer no longer in it. We should be able to re, re bring bring those back to life, put people back into them, and build those local communities as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, and that's it's it's a really good opportunity for us, and we should be leading that. We should be leading yeah. the discussion, not just looking at what mm -hmm. what we can pick at the table, but actually lead that discussion. Certainly, I echo what you say there, and that whole sense of of the opportunities in rural Ireland and and the, catching the mood of the nation. We all know twenty 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 one, and it is a it is a change. It is a permanent change. Uh, the shift to that work-life balance, rural, yeah. the opportunities, and we, we know that's that's one of the, the good outcomes that there will be of, of COVID. Um, I think it's also maybe worth saying here is that um, credit unions also have to, um, and this is incumbent on all boards, to think nationally as well as locally. Like we're yeah. not just like parish pump politics and we can't, I'm deliberately putting out the parochial in a sense, which Michael, as you know, um, and in fairness, we do represent our local communities and I'll die for my local community the way you yeah. will go yeah. to battle for yours. Uh, but we all have an obligation also to think of the national community and and it is a, it is a, it is enlightened self-interest anyway from a credit union point of view that if we have surplus funds here in Manchester Credit Union, even if there wasn't going to be a housing development here in the next one or two or three or four years or whatever the case might be, um, clearly it is of national benefit and therefore a benefit to the whole country that our funds can assist a social housing development, whether that's going to place, take place in Cork City, Limerick City or somewhere closer. I, I, so I agree, we, we, have, we have that obligation. Absolutely, and even on a local level, when I look at what we're doing, and okay, we've got a particular advantage to be able to do this at the moment now as a result of the mergers. But as a result of the mergers, we actually have a lot of excessive office space, you know, where seven, six credians had six boardrooms, you know, they had six, two or three meeting rooms in each credian. So we have a lot of a lot of surplus space. So what we're actually working on at the moment with two of one of the approved housing bodies, and we hope to have have stuff signed shortly with them, is we're actually converting some of our ex excess space into social housing units and selling them to two. So that's what we can do just in our local area to help our local community. And other credians, especially credians have gone through can look at those initiatives locally as well and actually can we actually put our local our property that we have to good use locally and make sure that we get those social housing units it's unfortunate credits can themselves can't invest directly in social housing it'd be fantastic but there's risks around that as well but it would be great if we could yeah
Great. And um, moving on to another one, which is kind of a bugbear, I suppose. Uh, well, a perennial issue for me. I'm 20 years involved, Michael, you're however long. Um, and, and it's the fragmentation at national level. So we've had, uh, obviously, we've had the league. And, and in fact, in, very, in my very early days, it's just when CUDA was, um, was being passed. So we have two national representative bodies. We know that more recent years, in, in the past couple of years, what we're seeing is the proliferation of, of, of credit union service organisations. I've heard mentioned, I think you were a director of PAYAC in the past, or maybe currently. Um, we obviously have Metamo, which is quite, uh, obviously hit the news last week or the week before. Um, we've cut, we've cultivate, and I should declare an interest. I am on the board of cultivate the farm loan product, um, and with others. Um, and the motivation for all of us is the same. I'm sure my motivation for cultivate is probably the same. Your motivation for PAC and so many other uh, initiatives, which is to do our damnedest to deliver products and services for our members that the national bodies weren't, and, and that's the root cause of fragmentation in Irish credit unions, as far as I'm concerned. But there's no point us fighting old wars, um, and there's no, uh, there's no, there's no. Uh, there is more to be gained, I think, in trying to address that fragmentation and to see. And I suppose again, as, as a candidate of the league board, I'm asking you, Michael, is that something that would be of concern to you? Is it something that's important to you? And is it something that you think that the league Cup board um, can address? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's most definitely something the league board can, and actually, more importantly, should address. And I don't see, I don't see they said initiatives of Metamore or Cultivate or Payac as fragmentation themselves. I actually see them as grassroots initiatives led by credits who are identifying a particular opportunity in their local area. And also to Cultivate originally, you know, the small group of credits identify agri lending, which is obviously a very important area area lending in rural rural communities. I wouldn't it's not going to be a product for every credit union, but it's a particular unique product for rural credit unions. So the Cultivate group of credit unions came together with that drive to bring something from start to finish. And the important thing is that drive. And when you get a small group of credit unions focused on something that they can see an opportunity in, they'll have to drive to bring that over the line. So you can have the best ideas in the world and without execution, that's all they are as ideas. So when you get a group of credit unions with a good idea, willing to put in the time and effort and the money to execute it, that's when we get that grassroots grassroots led growth that we all we all need. So Metamo is a great example of that. Payac is a great example of that. Cultivator a great example of that. So I think the league's role in all this, and this is where the league can prevent the fragmentation. So the problem is when you've got two or three groups trying to do the same thing and they're splitting the market, that's fragmentation. Whereas if you've got the league, and I think that this is where the league really can step up to the role is, they they need to be more than just a supplier of services. The league need to elevate themselves into a far more important role. And that's actually being the overseer of the service that are being provided. So almost like the league, all these people with the different initiatives should be going, the league should be formulating a sort of group of the, of initiatives, of group of QSOS and overseeing, making sure that there's not competition between each other. You know, in some areas there might be competition and maybe it's a good thing, but in other areas there shouldn't be because the market is not big enough. But the league themselves should be the actually overseer of all of these initiatives. And then also ensuring that initiative that's trying to get off the ground gets the proper support. And that could be just by talking to other credit unions, look, if you game behind and support, they need another two credit unions in that initiative. Will, you, will your credit union, your credit union join that? And now what you have is these grassroots initiatives being supported by the centre, not being controlled by the centre, but just being supported by the centre. They get to a level of growth, which now they can open up their services to all credit unions. And now we can then, credit unions around the country can then pick from a menu of different services. Like I'll never need to join Cultivate in core credit union. We've won, we've won Farmer as a member. 
And so I, I won't need, I won't need to join Cult Debate. But you know, other credit unions can avail of it. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing, not all credit unions will ever want to join current accounts. Some credit unions yeah. want to save basic loans and savings, and that's perfectly fine too. Mm-hmm. But at least they have the opportunity to, to get into current accounts. And yeah. then Metamo, you can see with their their commercial lending initiative that they're bringing forward. So that's something all of us credit unions get into it. And then at the end of the day, the members have a greater access to a range of services. And if we provide that to our members, then all credit unions will, will look forward to a good future. So I think the league has really important role to play as almost as a referee to ensure there's a fairness among those credit unions and make sure each of those initiatives have the support that they should have. Thanks, Michael. And that's that's actually very interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought of it at all in, in the after I admit in the way that you're outlining it there, but it's it's very appealing. Um, and I agree with you that these uh, CUSOs and these groupings are are grassroots. Um, need led and and so yeah. on, um, and that's true. And I suppose I was still seeing them in terms of fragmentation, in terms of we are we have too many, we have a variety of providers, or we have local providers. But the way you're seeing it there, which I haven't thought of before, is that whole sense of the league as some kind of um, overarching or referee or facilitator at national level. Um, my apologies to phone. Uh, at national level, um, and that the league doesn't have to be the deliverer. Of absolutely lending and every and every product and uh, at all, um, yeah. Yeah, and actually, sometimes uh, we we're, if you look, listen, and talk to credit unions around the country, they can be very critical of the league at times. Since uh, and I've been critical of the league my times in the, myself in the past, but I actually think we're asking too much of the league. Mm. And the reason why we're critical of them is they're they're trying to deliver too many things to do many people, and you can be a jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah. And I think that's the situation. And to be fair, we're unfair to the league in actually asking them to do everything for us. Mm-hmm. I think the league can actually provide a far better better service if they focus on delivering a few niche products and services to credit unions. Like the training is very important to come from a central basis. They, you know, the league do a couple of things very, very good. And representation is the most important thing. Yeah. But if the league, if if we stop asking the league to do everything for us, let the grassroots initiatives get up up and running, the league, I think, then need to uh, need to have a level of control over those initiatives, but don't have to supply those themselves. So they can actually take a step back, ensuring that uh, the initiatives that are being driven from the grassroots are being driven on the proper basis without being caught up in the day-to-day running of those initiatives. Because if you're caught up in the day-to-day running, you can't take a step back and look at it. Is actually, is this helping the overall strategy of credit unions or not? Mm-hmm. So the league, by taking a step back, can actually make sure that the credit union strategy is moving forward without actually being too caught up into day-to-day of it. So that's where I see a really important role for the league. Very good. And that, that actually leads very neatly, very neatly to the next topic I was going to ask you about, because uh, it's, a, it's a space that the league is 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 active in and we're all active in, in different groupings or to a certain extent, is the whole green agenda, climate change. Um, and you used the phrase earlier, uh, about social housing, that it was a marriage made in heaven. And I'm smiling to myself because that's the phrase I use, and I'm sure many others, around credit unions and the green agenda, particularly in terms of home home renovations. So to my mind, w- w- was there ever a more, more a match made in heaven uh, than the, the deliverer of the finance that would fund the green renovation, the green home improvement of the half a million housing stock that the government said needs to be retrofitted in the next 10 years than the credit union. I mean, we are, we are the community provider of, of, of finance and all, and all the rest. So so with that as the context um, uh, and with the different providers and 
advisedly used, maybe shy away from the word fragmentation, but there are, there are a good many different groupings now, um, uh, exploring green loan products, green home improvement products, within credit unions, I mean. So obviously yeah. the league is there, CUDA is there, uh, and I'm sure everybody else is thinking about it as well. So what are your thoughts around that, Michael? Yeah, look, obviously the green agenda is something I would be particularly interested in myself and we're living in our house here. I think we're in a 17 and a half years now and that we moved into it two, day, two weeks after my son was born. So we're in a 17 and a half years. So we put in a heat pump in our house 17 and a half years ago with solar panels on it. My brother thought I was after falling off the deep end altogether because <laughs> nobody in the country was, nobody even knew what a heat pump was at that stage. Like, and, you know, it was all new. So like our, even though 17, 18 years ago, well before we got to the sort of this green agenda, we were future proofing our house so with the heat pump, solar panels and all that. So the green agenda is something I have a big interest in myself. And I can remember I a, back in the accountancy days at a few clients who were involved in the green agenda as well and obviously people I would have been talking to quite a bit myself at the time and approaching in a Scorty credit union for a green loan or looking at set up a scheme for the, for those clients where they could actually offer loans to their to their potential customers and you know I was talking to Scorty and the answer and this is where the answer the perfect answer from a credit union is look we give loans for everything you know so you know if you want a helicopter we'll give you a loan for a helicopter if you want a wind turbine we'll give you a loan for that as well but I think the point you're making and is, is the point is we need a, a concerted uh, effort to actually make sure we have a national initiative for green energy and green loan and loan support in green energy. And I think here's an opportunity for this, because if you look at the league and some of the weaknesses of the league in the past, it's not the weakness of the league, it's actually weaknesses as such of what we're trying to do collectively at a national level. So the league have got a great sort of national advertising campaign, but they can sell nothing because every credit union in the country does something different. So we need to come out with a green loan. If you look at On Post last year, they got a lot, a huge amount of media attention with their green loan. They have a national loan with one rate of interest, one way of assessing the loan. Credit unions need to, we actually need to wake up as individual credit unions. We need to say, okay, we need a green loan here, but we also need to have collective underwriting, or sorry, not collective underwriting. All credit unions have to sign up to the same underwriting criteria. You know, it's no use having half the credit union saying oh, you need to save for 10 weeks before you can get a loan and the other half or not. We all need to sign up to the same rate of interest on it. Okay, every credit union has different cost base and different things like that. So we need to make sure that each credit union can, can, can afford a rate of interest. But if we could have a green loan with the same underwriting, or underwriting criteria, same rate of interest, then it can actually be advertised on a national basis. And every credit union can benefit because, you know, we're, I think we've got some large credit unions in the country now with a, a massive sort of footprint in their particular geographic area. There's lots of small credit unions out there who haven't got the marketing budgets. The national advertising campaign is great for raising general awareness. But if we can go out there we through the national advertising campaign and actually sell a loan nationally, all credit unions will benefit, not just on the green loans, but the green loan advertising will people bring people into small local credit unions for other products and services as well. But we need to go a step beyond where we've ever gone before and agree, collect a similar underwriting mm -hmm. and similar rate of interest across the board in the story. And that's not something that many credit unions might like to sign up to. But if we want to do this properly at a yeah. national level, and then we could actually make that, it will make a huge impact then. And the fragmentation will soon disappear then because mm. everyone would roll in behind it. If we got, if we got, if we, if we get, if we deliver the numbers, people will roll in behind. I agree. I'd echo that completely. And I think an added dimension to it is if the league is to be the, um, the, the initiator of that, or the, or the pr pr primary driver is to be generous, 
in 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 its openness to others who are active in this space as well. Be that CUDA, uh, be that Metamo, be it Cultivate, be it whoever it is, because all of these bodies, we're all thinking about these products as well. I mean, I would say Cultivate is thinking in this space as well. Why is Cultivate yeah. thinking in this space? You know, everybody's thinking in this space. And I know there's individual credit unions who have their own green loan products and there was Energy Union in Cork. Uh, an, a, an initiative as well. So the league to be open to these different initiatives, to be generous in its response to them. But back to the goal you made, you know, the point you made earlier that the league still has that. Um, it is the primary national representative body. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And there's no reason why a, a product like that couldn't be delivered, say via the league, collectively bringing everyone together, but through Cultivate as the pe- as the people with with a, a loan application sort of process that can easily yeah. be could put out nationally and it doesn't matter about what IT system you're on because you've got a you've got a simple online web application. Yeah. You know, so and that's the thing we need to think about. So cue the the league, exactly. you know, when it comes like when it comes to these initiatives, these are for our collective our collective exactly. strength. And like I'm not a believer, you know, okay, there was a split twenty years ago. You know, I believe in working with each other. And yeah. I've never I've never closed the door behind me in my life before. And it's not something I plan on doing now. And we might follow each other, we might compete with each other on certain things, but we can collaborate on other things. And you know, that's that's healthy and that's mature and that's the way approach we should be taking to this. Absolutely. And I think uh, of all the opportunities to 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 bring that mindset to Irish Credit Union is this is the green home retro loan is the opportunity because as you and I know the members on the street if they're in a town like Bantry which is an ILCU credit union that's not and if they're in a town like I'm trying to think of one um Tullamore which is a CUDA credit union or Bray for instance I think is a CUDA credit union Cuda, yeah. um my point being that the person walking in the door in, in in Bray or walking in the door in Bantry or better still the person walking in the door in Bray or working the door in Chankill who's walking in the door of two credit unions in different national representative organizations that member doesn't give a diddly no. squat and it shouldn't matter to the member it shouldn't either. Shouldn't matter to them. No. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely um, not. And like, and you know, for an awful lot of members, they see credit union as a brand. Yeah. And I think that's yes. something we need to strengthen our Completely. credit union brand, and that's been watered down over the last couple of years as well with proliferation of different logos around credit unions and things like that. So we need to not forget about our, our strong credit union brand. And you know, I have it from friends and family regularly in the office. So when you when you when you're going to get a transfer from Dublin down to Wexford, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, because yes. they just think we're all one organisation, and that's. That's, that's the reality and that's great because it's yeah. a strong brand and yeah. we yeah. need to keep that i just i'm going to finish on a second but actually the last point you made there i think is, is also worth holding on to and, and and bringing forward that sense of the dilution of the brand uh because it is we're all we're all doing it we're all going off doing our own logos and we all have our taglines and that's fine because we represent our local group our local communities and we are individual but i agree with you we need, we need to never lose sight of, of the credit union brand yeah. itself Michael, the last thing I was going to ask you was actually something I was going to talk about at the very start, um, was just how is the campaign going? And insofar as you can gauge these things in a virtual world, um, how, how are things going? Well, based on, say, numbers virtually from, say, LinkedIn views, a LinkedIn post and that, it seems to be going quite well. It's definitely the name has got out there and people have heard about it. So that's part of it is going well. How how well that will turn into votes, we'll, yeah. we'll soon see in a couple of weeks time. So hopefully people will have got to 
people who wouldn't have an opportunity have ever spoken to me before have seen some part of me online via the videos I've done. Yeah, I'm sure I've started, said things that might upset people and things like that, or they might have a different view. But you know what I'm trying to come across is get my honest self across. I have strong opinions. I also listen to people and that as well. So look, I believe that we need a strong representation representative body going forward. I actually believe in the strength of local credit unions on the ground as well. And I think the, the way we if we want to be strong in the future is we actually enable credit unions on the ground locally to bring forward the grassroots initiatives, because I think that's the strength of credit unions. If you look at how were we so strong, how do we become the most successful credit union movement in the world with highest level of penetration? It's because it was from the local parishes in the communities, everything driven from the grassroots. And I think that's where the strength of credit unions is. And I want us to get go backwards to that, go back to that to make sure we can go forward. So I think we have to go back to back to our roots to make sure we can go forward strongly. And that's that's ultimately what's right what drives me. And I really believe that we can actually do that. And by doing that, I think we can do an awful lot more for our communities in the future. And I think one representation body is the way to do it as well. And that'd be my ultimate long term goal is one strong representation body in the country, ensuring that we have a very strong voice in front of government. Well, again, uh, as I done throughout the interview, I echo, I echo your sentiments in that as well, Michael, more yeah. sincerely. And I think members are three million members or whatever it is up and down the length of breadth of Ireland. Back to that point, when they walk in the door of the credit union, and whether it says Bantry or Shankill or Core or Bray, uh, they see they see the two words credit union, and that's, that's what we need yeah, to focus on. Absolutely, yeah. and that's uh, that's it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And Finbar, thanks for reaching out for me. It was great to have this conversation.